to us, and we're going to receive today. Amen? Amen. God bless Brother Gleason as he preaches the word. Praise the Lord, everyone. Turn to somebody and say, we're making history. This is a first ever, hopefully a first annual conference about ministry and preaching here at Urshan. And I admire this vision, and I'm so truly thankful for Urshan College and UGST and the impact that it's making around the world. I was here last month, and I slipped into the chapel service, and I could not stop weeping from the moment I walked in here till the moment I left because I sensed the strong hand of God and the favor of God upon this student body and upon the faculty and the staff and the leadership. And I treasure that. That is priceless. And I felt that same anointing last night. And I know that there are many here beyond the student body, but I want to say to this student body that the sure hand of God is upon you, and you are destined for greatness for the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong with being great in the kingdom of God. You just have to be willing to take the path to greatness. And of course, we don't reach for greatness as the world reaches for greatness, but as God considers greatness, Jesus talked about greatness even when he talked about John the Baptist. And so I know that's what you're reaching for, to please God, to honor him. And surely the favor of the Lord is here. Let's clap our hands and thank God for his presence and his favor. We love you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Thank God. Thank God for your touch upon us. Praise God. Amen. I was, Dr. Cedillo and I were speaking just for a few moments before this morning began. And first thing I thought of when I saw him was the first board meeting he was first Urshan board meeting he was a part of, and I thought about how far our, our uh, college has come since then, and I'm rejoicing, and uh, so Brother Calthar, Sister Russell, thank you for your leadership, it's good to be here with all of my fellow ministers, and uh, as you're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm proud of the five students that are here from the Life Church in Kansas City, Lene and Lydia Hearn, and Caitlin Forgey, and Natalie Berry, and last but not least, Caleb Gleason. And I'm proud of all of our students, proud of all of you, and thankful for those from our church that are here. First Samuel 16, verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. 
And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, look, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, but wait, there's more. A mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. From this passage, I would like to entitle my remarks today, Something on Your Way to Something. Something on Your Way to Something. Turn to somebody and say, be something on your way to something. And everybody's going to help me preach by saying amen at least one time. Maybe seated. Most of you got your amen out of the way already. Have you ever, have you ever met someone that if you looked up over promise and under deliver in the dictionary, their, their picture would be right there? Do you know anyone who's always going to be something great where they're going, but they can't seem to get much going right where they are? Just everybody look straight ahead. Many years ago, I had a 30-something man in our church approach me, and he was in college, and he was soon to graduate, and he said, you know, Pastor, my entry-level salary for my new career will be $200,000 a year. And he said, I can't wait to be able to give $20,000 a year to the church. I'm so excited about that. I looked at him and I said, no, no, I don't think so. He said, Pastor, what do you mean? I said, I don't think you're going to be giving $20,000 to the church when you have an entry-level job that's going to pay you $200,000 a year. He said, why would you say that? I said, well, for starters... Tithing is not the end of giving, it's just the beginning. And I said, secondly, why would I expect you to be faithful with more than you are with less? Pastor, what are you saying? I said, okay, let me make it plain. You are not even tithing on your meager student income right now. So why are you going to be something amazing when you... When you think that you think that giving is an income issue, it's not. It's an obedience issue. Giving is an obedience issue. And let me, let me just say right here, early in your ministry, don't ever think that finances are not spiritual. Now, I'm not going to preach on money today, but I could. I'm an expert. I had to be, if you only knew where I came from. Finances are spiritual. And Jesus said, if you are not faithful with your money, then who's going to commit to you the true riches of heaven? 
Show me someone that is not faithful right now with what they have financially in their hand, and they will never be promoted by God. But if you want to be promoted by God, it not only takes a prayer room and a study and a, a, a consecration and a dedication, but learn how to be faithful in your finances because finances are directly attached and uh, connected to attracting the favor and the blessing of God. Can I have a good amen right there? Amen. So obedience to God's plan and God's word doesn't start when we have more, when, when, when we get more to do with and more to play with and, and more to, to handle and to be responsible for. But obedience begins now. It begins now. At the age of 12, Jesus understood the power of submission. He was rebuked by his parents after being found in the temple, confounding the doctors of the law. And then he spoke these words to his mother, Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? If you don't understand what's going on here, you might interpret Jesus' comment as disrespectful or being arrogant, but it was far from that. Jesus was not being arrogant. He was being missional. He realized that at a young age, he was on a mission, and it was far bigger than he himself. He would not be functioning as a carpenter apprentice or a carpenter for the rest of his life. At the age of 30, we would need Jesus to stop acting like a carpenter, and we would need him to begin acting like the Messiah. But until then, he's not wasting time, but he's preparing. He's preparing his mind. He's preparing his spirit. He's preparing his life for the greatest ministry in the shortest length of time. He was preparing to do something great for God, and he was preparing to do something great as God. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, the Bible says, after this episode of rebuke by his mother, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And it's very telling, the next verse, and Jesus Increased. Everybody say increase. He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Verses 51 and 52 are the only thing, is the only thing that we know about Jesus for the next 18 years of his life. That's as long as some of you have lived. That's all we know that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. That's the only thing that we know, but it's the only thing we need to know. When Jesus went off the grid of the scripture, as far as the historic account is concerned, we don't know anything else about him during those formative years. And even though there was no spotlight on him, 
even though he was not on some great stage, yet he was subject to his parents. He was the best carpenter that he could be. He was the best apprentice he could be. He was the best son and servant to his parents that he could be. He was subject to them, but he was preparing for something greater in his life. If I could say it this way, he was something while he was on his way to something. He didn't strut around as an adolescent bragging about the amazing person that he was or the great things that he was going to do. He didn't lollygag and goof off and count the days on his calendar until he could finally work a miracle and amaze everyone. Contrary to the apocryphal account, he did not make clay pigeons and give them life and cause them to fly away to the entertainment of his adolescent friends. He didn't sit around twiddling his thumbs for 18 years waiting to be the Messiah, but he was growing. He was growing. He was growing. He was preparing. He was growing in wisdom and in favor with God and with man. And Jesus was somebody before we knew he was somebody. Jesus was somebody before the world knew he was somebody. In fact, one day, the Bible said that John the Baptist was baptized in John chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. John said, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. John said, there's one among you that you don't know. But oh, if you knew him like I know him. There's one standing among you that if you knew who he was, you would ask him to heal you of your disease. If you knew who he was, you would ask him to forgive you of your sins. Jesus was standing shoulder to shoulder in perhaps abject anonymity, and they didn't identify him. They didn't know him. But Jesus was something on his way to something. And I want to say to everyone that is here today, I wonder who stands among us. I wonder who perhaps is undiscovered and laboring and being faithful off the grid. Can I tell you that we may not know who you are, but if you have learned how to pray, heaven knows who you are. We may not have discovered you yet, but if you have been preparing and if you have been growing in wisdom and in favor with God and with man, I want to tell you that there's a day that's coming when perhaps you will be celebrated. There is a day that is coming when perhaps you will be recognized for your skills and your anointing and your ability. But I'm saying to you, don't wait until that day comes. But be faithful now when no one else is watching. Be faithful now when no one else is paying attention. And the sure hand of God will reward you in the days to come. Praise God. Amen.
one little short, skinny guy that weighed 100 pounds, ringing wet, walked into a lumberjack camp and asked for a job. The foreman sort of looked down his nose at him, looked him up and down. Didn't take long. And uh, the guy said, can I help you? The man said, well, I'd like to apply for a job. <laughs> Did you see these burly men when you walked in here? You want a job here? He said, you're, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, what kind of experience do you have in cutting down trees? He said, well, the Sahara Forest. He said, the Sahara Forest, don't you mean the Sahara Desert? He said, well, yeah, now. <laughs> I was stunned with this description of David in the text. David was a teenager. He was a shepherd, whether he wanted to be one or not. It was what he had been assigned to do. It was the only opportunity at hand. In fact, it is believed that David had intentionally been given what was known as the most undesirable job in the household of Jesse, his father, to tend the sheep. David was an afterthought. David's mother was not a woman of high morality. He did not have the same respectable mother as his older brothers. One commentary suggested he was not even allowed to eat at the table with his other brothers for the daily meal. In David's own words, he said in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. It's no wonder that when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, that David was not even a consideration in his father Jesse's mind, or in anyone else's mind for that matter. He was a nobody from nowhere as far as the public was concerned. But in the eyes of God, he was something on his way to something. In the text, Saul had been stripped of his anointing and an evil, troubling spirit from God was upon him. And the servants were trying to find someone skilled enough who could play this bad spirit off of Saul and give him some relief. David was about to be summoned. He was about to be called up, if you will, to an assignment a pretty important one. His job was to help the king get into a good mood, and it would not be easy. All that Saul asked for was someone that could play well. But one of Saul's servants had an opportunity somewhere, sometime, to observe David. And here's what he said. Here was David's resume as unfolded to the king. He said, King, I've found a skillful player of the harp, which means he had talent. He said, 
He's got enough of the spirit to ward off Saul's evil spirit, which means he's anointed and he'd already been anointed. He said he's a mighty man of valor, which means he was courageous. He said he's a man of war, which means he's already been tried and tested. He said he's well-spoken, which means he has ability to communicate. Then he said he's handsome, that never hurts. And then, perhaps most telling, he said the Lord is with him. David was more than what Saul asked for. David brought more to the table than what Saul really thought he required. He was more than a skilled musician. David, you see, out on the backside of nowhere, was not waiting for a call up from the king. If he was in the minor leagues, he didn't just hang around waiting for the phone to ring to call him up to the major leagues. But he was preparing. He was developing every skill God had given him. He was investing every talent that God had blessed him with. This servant of Saul noticed these qualities of David. Saul only wanted somebody that could play well, but David was able to bring so much more to the table than that. The point I want you to understand today is that David was not waiting to be something, but he was something where he was when nobody was watching, when only heaven had their eye on David. David was being faithful when only there were sheep around, but it didn't discourage him. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're on your way to somewhere, then you've got a sense that you are on your way to somewhere. If there's an anointing on your life, you may not like everything that's going on in your life right now, but you don't have to be satisfied with where you are. You can reach for something more where you are. Can I tell you that your day is going to come? But don't wait for your ship to come in. Start swimming out to it right now. Amen. Get engaged in the harvest. Don't wait to lay hands on the sick. Lay hands on the sick now. Don't wait to cast out devils. Cast them out right now. Praise God. Everybody said praise the Lord. I read the story of a promising high school baseball player. He was a senior in high school, and his school was very small, and his conference was very small, and he wanted so bad to be a major league baseball player, and his coach knew that he was the best one on the team. He was the best player in the league. He went up to his coach one day, and he said, Coach, I want to be a major league baseball player. The coach said, that's great, son. He said, but there's one problem. He said, what's that? He said, nobody ever comes to watch me play. No scouts from any Major League Baseball team ever come and watch me play. How am I going to make it? And the coach knowingly put his hand on the young man's shoulder. He said, son, if you can play, they'll find you. Jesus said it a little bit differently. He said, when you pray, 
go in your closet and shut the door. And your heavenly father, who sees you privately, will reward you publicly. Amen. Let me say it this way. If you can pray, heaven will find you. Come on. If you can pray. Look, I don't know if you can get a, a carry a 4.0 at Urshan or not. I hope you can. But there's not one person here who couldn't carry a 4.0 in the prayer room. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. A lot of prayer can make up for a lot of other inadequacies. Amen. A lot of prayer can make up the difference for a lot of inabilities. Don't be discouraged with your inability, but just present your availability to God. And don't be a stranger to a prayer room. And when you pray, shut the door, and your heavenly Father that sees you in secret will reward you openly. I'm telling you today, if you can pray, Heaven will find you. My first full-time ministry assignment, I was, I had evangelized for almost a year. And probably more like evangelized than evangelized. Uh, those pastors would give me that check and I'd say, man, I sure don't deserve this. Then there were a few places I said, this, this isn't near enough. <laughs> and so my wife and I were newly married. And in fact, one of my Bible college professors had asked me what I was going to do when I graduated from Bible college. And I said, well, I think I would like to evangelize. He said, oh, Stan, I'd hate to see you spread your mediocrity all over the country. So 40 years later, I'm still spreading my mediocrity. <laughs> I was not offended by it. It inspired me. It challenged me. It motivated me. And so we... Started off, Ed Lucas, our former vice president at Gateway College, a young preacher's friend. He lined me up with eight weeks revivals. Now, if you've never evangelized, you won't understand this. But if you're 21 and you're just looking for an opportunity, it felt like eternal security. Eight weeks, I can go a lifetime on eight weeks revivals. And God blessed and one thing led to another. In fact, started in Illinois, southern Illinois, preached preached my way around. I couldn't get out of Illinois for almost a year. Illinois was very kind to me. And uh, so someone told a pastor uh, in Ohio that uh, he, he was looking for a, a, a youth pastor. He said, well, why don't you have Stan Gleason come and preach a youth week? So I didn't know that conversation had happened. We went to West Jefferson, Ohio, and we preached a youth week there, and God blessed, and the pastor and his wife sat my wife and I down, and they invited us to um, come on staff, and we were ready to get off the road, and we were excited. We wanted to settle down. We had a lot of friends and even family in Ohio, and, and so we said yes. We felt good about it, and so uh, I called some of my friends, and I said, man, I'm going to Ohio. And they said, really, where? I, I said, West Jefferson. They said, where is that? 
He's like, well, it's, you know, it's on the west side of Columbus, Ohio. Well, who's the pastor? I told him the name. He said, never heard of him. I'm like, hmm, what have I got myself into? I'm not going to a very high-profile place here. But it didn't discourage me. I was excited for the opportunity. And so he, he invited us to come as youth pastor. That was it. But after a few months, he asked me to be his assistant pastor. They didn't have a choir. And so we started a Sunday night choir. They didn't have a men's quartet. And if you're going to be oneness apostolic Pentecostal, you got to have a men's quartet in your church. So we started a men's quartet. They didn't have a youth ensemble, so we started a youth ensemble. They'd never done drama, so we were doing dramas every, every holiday, every big, we were doing dramas. They didn't have any Bible quizzing, so we started a Bible quizzing ministry. No one was doing outreach, so we started teaching Bible studies. And three years later, when we left, we had discipled five families, mom, dad, children. What am I saying? I'm not patting myself on the back here today, but I'm saying to you, don't wait to go to some great place of honor. Don't have the mentality that you want to attach your wagon to some high-profile Pentecostal institution to where you can be somebody. Listen, that's not the way the kingdom of God works. You find a place, perhaps, of no honor, like our Lord Jesus, who was, could have been born anywhere he wanted to be, but he was born in a city of little account among the thousands of Judea, and then he was raised in no goodsville, Nazareth. It wasn't that Nazareth was a bad place, but nothing of any consequence ever happened in Nazareth. But I've been to the Holy Land five times. Do you know how much money is made in Bethlehem? him and how much money comes to Nazareth because Jesus went to a place of no honor and he brought honor. I'm telling you today, don't worry about the call up. Don't worry about attaching yourself to some high profile Pentecostal preacher. If you can learn how to pray, if you can learn how to apply yourself, if you can learn how to study, there's a lot more inside of you than what we realize. You've got more talent than what anybody knows. Just brighten the corner where you are. I learned a long time ago that if you can't be somebody where you are, you'll never be anybody where you're going. So bloom where you're planted. Turn to somebody and say, bloom where you're planted. Someone asked a pop culture sensation who seemed to achieve an overnight success, what he attributed his overnight success to. He, he shrugged, his, shrugged his shoulders and had a smirk on his face. He said, ha, my overnight success took me 30 years. He was somebody before they thought he was somebody. So I would like to bring my remarks to a close today. I want to say that I'm so proud of every one of you students that is here. I'm so thankful that you're pursuing ministry more than a career. 
when I go to Youth Congress this summer, and I hope that all of you can be there, it's going to be so powerful to see a cloud of glory come down upon this generation that is now ministry-focused and have hearts for God. You're so far beyond, if I could speak for my generation, at least where I grew up, anything that we were or that we're demonstrating. And you ought to be. You ought to be awesome. You ought to be headed for greatness. You're, you're standing on the shoulders of elders who have paved a great way for you. And as Brother Huntley said last night, we are not your adversary. We are clapping and cheering. We are celebrating. We are thanking God. Amen. You are going to be the answer to many of our prayers. You are going to see some of the revivals, perhaps that even my generation has seen, but even greater, far greater than anything that we have ever seen or been a part of. Are you excited to be knowing God and living for God and walking with God and preparing? You're preparing for something great. Time spent in preparation is never wasted. Brother Jones is our resident expert on Abraham Lincoln, but I believe he's, this statement is attributed to him. He said, if I have six hours to cut down a tree, I will spend the first four hours sharpening the ax. There used to be this ideology or perhaps a theology that since Jesus is coming soon, there's no time for education. There's no time to prepare. Just open your mouth and God will fill it because Jesus is coming. There was this feeling that you didn't need to train in Bible college because what's the point? The return of the Lord is imminent. And even though I believe the return of the Lord is imminent, I believe that Jesus could come today. But I want to say that when Jesus comes, somebody is going to be preparing to do something great for God. When Jesus comes, somebody's going to be here at Ursha studying, praying, seeking God, getting ready for their future. I want you to notice the imagery that Jesus gave at his coming. He said, two will be working in the field. Everybody say working. He said, one will be taken and the other left. He said, two women will be grinding. Everybody say grinding. Two women will be grinding at the meal, and one will be taken and the other left. Certainly, it's tragic that someone will not be ready. But don't miss the significance of what these men and women were doing. They weren't sitting idle. They were working. They weren't hanging out, holding hands around the campfire, singing kumbaya. But they were active. They were being productive. They were trying to accomplish something where they were. And I want to say that when the rapture takes place, amen, Jesus Christ is coming back. Not for an idle church. Not for a lazy church. Not for a disengaged church. Not for a compromising church. Or a contented church as Hannah preached last night. But he's coming back for an engaged church. He's coming back for people that are working. That are grinding. That are sacrificing that are preparing to do something great. Brother Stone King was preaching at our church and passing the mantle a few years ago, and 
He said that he was having a conversation with Billy Cole, and Brother Cole said, Lee, God's wanting to do something big in the last days. He said, it looks like if God's going to want to do something big, that he's going to have to put something big on somebody. He's going to have to put something big on somebody. And I wonder who's among us today. Who's standing among us or sitting here now among us today? I want to tell you that God's got something big for this generation. Amen. God's got something big for this generation. Praise God. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than the United Pentecostal Church. But love your hearts. We are going to be in the big middle of it. We're going to be right in the big middle of it. Hallelujah. Amen. Some of you are going to baptize preachers of churches. And they're going to baptize their churches. Some of you are going to baptize leaders of organizations. And their entire organization is going to get a revelation of the mighty God in Christ. Amen. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will lead and guide into all truth. And if truth. Truly, there are almost a billion in the world that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me that a revelation's not coming. A revelation is coming. That's why you're not wasting your time at Urshan, because you're learning how to preach the truth and defend the truth and love the truth and communicate the truth. God's going to put something big on somebody. Let's all stand. Oh, he's going to put something big on somebody. Hallelujah. You know, it's interesting. The first time you read about Heman in the Old Testament, he's a cymbal player. He's the guy in the back row of this David's Mount Zion Symphony. And he gets one shining moment. And it's the last crescendo, but he doesn't miss it. And the orchestra conductor, and he went, <laughs> the next time we read about Heman, he's in the trumpet section. The director came to him and said, you know, Heman, you've been faithful. That one crash every, at the crescendo of every song, you've been right there. I'd like for you to try this trumpet. He said, the good news is I'm inviting you to the trumpet section. The bad news is there's 120 trumpets. Your seat, 120. But Heman, he kills that. He moves all the way up. He gets invited into the choir. He's in the tenor section. Some time passes. The choir director pulls him down and says, I've seen your energy. I've seen your passion. You've got a good ear. You've got a heart for God. You've got a, a prophetic anointing on your life. I want you to come and lead the choir. Heman becomes one of three choir leaders in David's Mount Zion of worship. And some scholars suggest that it was Heman that was leading the choir that magnificent day when Solomon's temple was dedicated and the glory of God came down and the little cymbal player from the back row was 
was, was an instrument, was a key, was, he, he just was faithful. He just was faithful. He was, he was something on his way to something. He didn't know where he was going. You don't ever know where the journey's going to take you, but you don't get to take that journey unless you're faithful today. Don't skip a step. Don't miss the phone call from the Lord calling you up just a little bit higher. Let's lift our hands and submit ourselves right now. Say, God, I'm going to take the journey. Come on, say, God, I'm not going to miss it. Last night was a moment for us. You didn't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss that encounter. We know there's more inside of you than what we're seeing right now, but be faithful. Come on, let's let our voices out. Let's let our voices out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Learn how to pray. Learn how to pray. Study. Share your faith. Be something on your way to something. (laughs) Come on, Urshan. Come on, congregation. I know it's early in the morning, but let's just have a prayer meeting right now. Let's just have a prayer meeting right now. Let's just touch the Lord right now for a few moments. Hallelujah. Let's not miss the moment. Say, oh, God, forgive me if I've been lazy. Forgive me if I've been waiting for my ship to come in. Lord, I'm not going to miss this moment. I'm not going to miss any moment. Lord, because you've called me. Hallelujah. You've called me, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. You either have this or you don't have it. I can't give it to you. Even God can't give it to you. You either got it or you don't got it. Oh, you can call it passion. You can call it desire. You can call it hunger. Oh, these days are precious. This time is valuable. We're preparing. We're preparing. But we're not waiting to be something. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, let God give you a sense of your destiny today. Let God give you a sense of something greater. Say, God, just crack open the door. Lord, I know I'm going somewhere. I know I got a hold of something. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
That's it. Pray the price. Pray the price. Pray the price. Learn how to pray. Never burn.